Hey everyone, welcome back. 2019. Happy New Year everybody. This is my first episode of the year and I'm coming back at you with a brand new historical case for you guys. And just to sort of give you guys a rundown of how I wanted to do the show this year, I'm going to be doing it similar to last year in that in the middle of the month I'm going to have a historical case. It's going to be shorter. And I do that just to bring you guys some more content because I can only I only have the time to research, you know, one bigger case every single month. And this is a way to give you guys more content and more episodes and also touch on those cases that I read about and I think are interesting, but that just don't have enough content to put as a final end of the month episode. So I'm going to hopefully be doing the historical cases or sometimes just the update episodes or stuff that's currently going on. Um, episodes in the middle of the month. So that's kind of the plan there. Um, I would like to put a reminder out there that I do have an Instagram and it's at Colored Red Podcast. And if you guys want to go on there, you go, you'll not only see images associated with every single episode, but you'll also get updates from me about potential delays for episodes or what's going on or what's going to be the last episode of the year, that kind of stuff. So there's a little bit less mystery in terms of when an episode's going to be coming out. I'll be posting updates on there. And there's a ton of like images and stuff that I'm going to have up for every single case. So go on there and check that out. I'll also do teasers for episodes, so it's kind of fun. Um, I've got a lot planned this year, and I'm going to try to do some new things this year. And hopefully going to have something new and so kind of investigative coming out for you guys um, sometime closer to the summer. But um, I really hope to get this show more on track and get more consistent with the uploads um, this coming year. So that also said, if you enjoy the show and you're having a good time with it and you like it, please go on iTunes and rate and also subscribe to the show. But doing a rating for the show really helps boost um, the program and gets me some feedback that I need. If you don't like the show for some reason or you don't like how I do it, I am so dedicated to making the show as interesting and multifaceted and high quality as possible, at least that I'm capable of doing. And if you guys have some comment or uh, criticism about either the content or about the way it's being done, just send me an email, shoot me a message on Facebook or on Instagram, and I'll be more than happy to um, change that or get something else going or do anything I need to do to make this a better show for you guys. So just a reminder, you know, this isn't produced by any sort of uh, podcast company or anything like that. This is just me in my own house on my own, figuring out and doing this for you guys. So just to keep that as a reminder. But anyway, that's enough housekeeping for today. I've got a quick mini so today for you guys involving one of the most prolific and somewhat frightening women to live in Denver in the 20th century. Um, this whole affair was splattered all over newspapers for some time, and the public just could not get enough of the gruesome and heinous details that would unfold about this woman. Um, and not only her, but her accomplices and the murders that she was supposedly involved in. And I really only say supposedly because in the early 20th century, there wasn't much evidence to go off of for crimes other than witness testimony, which would, of course, um, play a huge role in this case I'm going to be talking about today. So I kind of when I read about super historical old cases, I have a lot of doubts about some things that happen in it, particularly with women and with minorities and with the like. So 
it's it's so it kind of it kind of sometimes gets a little bit derailed. But this, as far as I know, was something that um, had a lot of eyewitness testimony. Not only that, but the bodies that would end up being uncovered and the stories about this woman all kind of added up to really put forth this truth about who she was. So on November 28th, 1910, a large front page headline greeted Denver and it read mysterious foe blindfolds, gags and kills Mrs. Salanto. The body of Dorinda Salanto would end up being found uh, six miles north of Denver in a ravine near Globeville. And of course, Denver goes all the way up into Globeville now and past. But this was kind of a distant location for Denver at the time, and it was not built up. And it was actually a um, ranch that a guy had out there. And this was this body was located on his ranch, and he knew nothing about it. So the police would end up surmising that the murder had been organized by a gang of murderers. And there's no real indication why they initially thought this, other than maybe they had been investigating gangs at the time. They would end up arresting her husband, Clement Salanto, um, but they made it clear that they were detaining him for the purpose of investigating him, not because there was anything linking him to the actual crime itself. So to everyone's surprise, just a day later, a woman named Mrs. Angelina Garamone was also arrested in connection with the murder, as it was believed that Mrs. Salanto disappeared from Mrs. Garamone's home, and Mrs. Garamone was the last person to see her alive. And I also am going to say before I move on that there are a lot of Italian names in this episode, so I apologize if I mispronounce any of these names. So following the murder, Clement Salanto, the deceased's husband, was taken to the morgue and he was given the grim task of identifying the body of his wife. Um, she had had her throat slashed to the point of nearly decapitating her and her face was swollen from being gagged. Not to mention she had been in this ravine near Globeville for about two weeks and she was likely bloated with decomposition. The coroner would later write an official report that Mrs. Salanto had been killed by a blow inflicted above her right eye, combined with having her throat cut and various other blunt force wounds to the body. So exactly what the final death blow was was really unclear, but no doubt the throat slashing was probably the final thing. In addition to Mrs. Garamone, uh, police arrested a man who worked with her as a sort of secretary in her real estate dealings, and they didn't go any further about what that meant. It would be revealed that her real estate dealings were a scam she had been running for some time. Because everyone involved was an Italian immigrant, um, English among them was sparse, and instead of finding an interpreter to get the details, police just decided that um, to get what they could from the statements from Mrs. Garamone's secretary. So Mrs. Garamone's real estate scam involved gaining the trust of Italian property owners and asking them how much they thought their property was worth. She would then pay them a few hundred dollars more than whatever their estimate was for how much their property was worth, and then she would become the owner and landlord of their properties. It was believed that she had scammed nearly every Italian property owner in the south side of Denver, which was the Italian community at that time. And after this scam started to dry up, she began renting pianos from companies all over town and then selling them. So selling this property that she didn't actually own. So this is a woman who was directly involved in a number of scams over the years in Denver here. So 
While the public learned more and more about Mrs. Garamone and her scams, they were already really familiar with the victim herself, Mrs. Salanto. She, the victim, Mrs. Salanto, was born Giuseppe Dorinda Labate in 1864 in Italy. And at the age of 22, she married a deaf mute named Felicito Frazzini. They immigrated to America in 1898 with an infant son. And soon after this, she divorced Felicito and married Domenico Labate, with whom she had two sons. But this marriage also ended in divorce, the drama of which was all over the newspapers for some time, and which Denverites ate up as a matter of public drama. The Denver Post would publish articles about it, detailing how Dorinda, as she came to be known, rejected interpreters and made scenes in the courtroom by refusing to be sworn in and screaming at the judge. How her husband went in custody of his sons, claiming that his wife drank and called the children names, and how she would end up receiving no alimony in the divorce which was rare at the time. Eventually, after the court saw a lot of the Labate marriage troubles, custody was granted to Domenico Labate. She married, after this, um, she married a man named Clement Salanto, and this was all going on during the middle of all these proceedings, so somehow, in some way or another, she convinced another guy to marry her during all this. And that's how she came to be known as Mrs. Dorindo Salanto. So, sometime after this drama, Dorinda Salanto entered the real estate scam with Mrs. Angelina Garamone. Now, with Dorinda Salanto deceased, so we bring back into that time when they found the body, Clement Salanto was also being questioned about her murder, in which he explained to the police that Dorinda had been speaking with Mrs. Garamone at their house when he left to run an errand, and when he returned, neither of the two women was there. So while trying to get information, police were able to arrest Mrs. Angelina Garamone on charges of forgery, which the papers explained were related to her desire to sustain a Chadwickian reputation in the Italian colony in Denver. She was fast convicted of the forgery charges and sentenced to five to eight years in prison. So shortly after this, yet another body was discovered. This time it was that of 59-year-old Maria LaGuardia, who had been missing for nearly a year. She had been completely dismembered, and all that remained of her was a skeleton. Her body had been wrapped in burlap in a similar manner to that of Dorinda Salanto, and the police surmised that the murders of the two women were related, and that the two women had both been killed at the home of Mrs. Angelina Garamone. So the Denver Post published a gruesome account of Mrs. LaGuardia's niece identifying her body, which I will quote here from the actual article itself. Her niece recognizes clothing, the stockings, and even the skull. Holding her baby in one arm and the bleached skull of her dead aunt in the other hand, Mrs. Annie Diomata this morning positively identified the remains of a woman found last Friday on the J.N. Johnson Ranch in Jefferson County as those of Mrs. Maria LaGuardia, who disappeared from Denver on September 3, 1910. The baby reached out and patted the skull playfully. And soon enough, two accomplices then came forward who claimed to have been present for the murder of Maria LaGuardia about a year earlier. They were Concetta Forgione and her daughter Stella, who was 18 years old. And their story would paint a very gruesome story of Mrs. Angelina Garamone as a ruthless monster. And I will quote the article from that. 
Mrs. Concetta Forgione and her daughter Stella, 18 years old, confessed at Golden last night that they stood by while Mrs. Angelina Garamone cut the throat of Mrs. Marie LaGuardia and robbed her of $320. Mrs. Forgione said that she held Mrs. Garamone's four-year-old baby in her arms while Mrs. Garamone committed the murder. The blood from the wound, Mrs. Forgione said, covered Mrs. Garamone's hands and she sucked it from her fingers with her lips. The killing was done with a butcher knife, according to Mrs. Forgione and her daughter, and of the money taken from the murdered woman, Mrs. Forgione said that she received $160. The murder occurred between 7 and 7.30 o'clock Sunday morning, August 13, 1910, after Mrs. Forgione, her daughter Stella, and Mrs. Garamone had spent the night with Mrs. LaGuardia in the open air near the tracks of the Intermountain Railroad east of Golden. So at this point, the Italian community was totally rocked by all these new revelations, and they were being interviewed at length, and everyone had a really similar story about Mrs. Garamone. They called her a merciless, cunning rogue, a plague on the settlement, that she was a black hand in the Italian community and had an equally black heart. And members of the community loosely connected her to four other murders around town, though those were not investigated to the point of being in the newspaper or her being actually convicted of them. So while Mrs. Garamone served her sentence for the forgery, she was charged with the murder of Mrs. LaGuardia based on the witness testimony of Concetta Forgione and her daughter Stella. So who was Mrs. Garamone herself? She was a Denver native and daughter of a wealthy Italian farmer who lived near Denver. When he died, she was the sole heir and inherited around $20,000, which would be roughly $600,000 today. With this money, she and her aloof husband began their real estate scams and other hustles with her at the helm. Mrs. Concetta Forgione and her daughter would end up being charged as accessories to murder, and the Denver uh, Post reported that both of them were terrified of being locked in their cells. Not because that they were afraid of prison or anything like that, but because they were both afraid of Mrs. Garamone's supposed supernatural abilities, stating that they believed she had command with the spirits of another world and that she had the ability to invoke the aid of evil spirits in order to punish her enemies. So the trial of Mrs. Garamone would be just as bizarre as the accusations against her. The opening arguments from her defense team defied all logic by requesting the case be thrown out by proposing that the skeletal remains of Mrs. LaGuardia were not actually determined to even be human, despite clearly including a human skull and clothing. The judge thankfully overruled this ridiculous argument and the, the uh, whole trial proceeded from there. The witness for the prosecution, Concetta and Sella Forgione, who were offered uh, much reduced sentences for their testimony, took the stand and gave their gruesome account. Um, Concetta Forgione could recall the exact words from Mrs. Garamone that were said as she slit the throat of Mrs. LaGuardia, stating, and I quote here, Mrs. Garamone grabbed Mrs. LaGuardia by the hair, pulled her head back, and as she did, she said, Oh, Godmother, you have a big worm on your throat. And she cut it with a butcher knife. So during all this time, papers ran stories all throughout the trial, equating Mrs. Garamone's power over the Italian community to the hiss of a snake in a colony of monkeys. One account of Mrs. Garamone states thus, 
her shriveled, hard, cunning face, acrobatic with passionate Italian mobility, her beady black eyes, restless and peering like a monkey's, and her brittle falsetto voice, working in time to her emotions. As she sat upon the witness stand in the district court at Golden yesterday and detailed the revolting murder of Mrs. Maria LaGuardia on South Table Mountain on the morning of August twentieth, 1910. But the defense had at least one reasonable trick up their sleeves. They presented evidence to discredit the witness, Concetta Forgione, and what they uncovered about her was almost just as horrifying as what was uncovered about Mrs. Garamone. In an article in the Rocky Mountain News dated March 5th, 1893, so now this is long before any of these murders or anything, there was an incident with Concetta Forgione. A most inhuman and awful crime occurred in the Highlands suburb of Denver today, today where six-year-old daughter of Mrs. Concetta Sabatina was discovered in a dying condition by the neighbors. The child was a mass of burns, but was able to tell that her mother had used hot, flat irons on her and inserted burning sticks into her body, afterward hanging her to the bedpost where she was found by the neighbors. She cannot recover. Mrs. Concetta and her 10-year-old Nob, who was charged as an accessory, are in jail, and no motive is known for the crime. So essentially what ended up happening was that Mrs. Concetta, um, as she was known at the time, Sabatina, and then later on she remarried and became Concetta Forgione, essentially tortured her daughter with her own son. And this was all over the newspapers for some time. A March 7th issue from that same year gave an account of the trial following the torture of the poor, poor girl as women all over Denver showed up to the courthouse to view the horrible woman and yell slurs at her. So here's that March 7th article. The largest crowd that ever filled Judge Landon's courtroom was the one that assembled yesterday to witness the trial of Concetta Sabatina and her eight-year-old son Nicholas for their unparalleled paralleled and atrocious treatment of the little baby girl, Atonia. People from all parts of the city and suburbs, some coming from Littleton, to get a glimpse of the inhuman mother and her fiendish offspring. Judge Landon sentenced the woman to three months on the charge of assault and battery, three months for cruelty to children, the sentences to be cumulative and bound her over the district court system in the sum of $1,000 for assault to kill. The boy was sentenced to the reform school for three years. The little victim is at the county hospital and in such critical condition that she could not be brought to court yesterday. So the prosecutor, and now back here in 1911, the prosecutor came back for this damning, discrediting evidence of his witness with the evidence in the form of a leg and foot bone with Mrs. LaGuardia's shoe still attached. During his showing of this, Mrs. Garamone could be seen laughing. They also called several more witnesses who testified that they believe Mrs. Garamone also killed Dorinda Salanto because Dorinda knew about the murder of Mrs. LaGuardia. One witness was Mrs. Garamone's own son, who recounted how Mrs. Garamone had defrauded many people in Denver, including his dad. The defense shot back with the theory that Mrs. LaGuardia was actually killed by her husband, who police had not been able to link to any murder at all. They also called Mrs. Garamone herself to the stand as their only witness, and she sheepishly stated that she could not kill anyone and was unable to watch animals or anything being killed. The jury deliberated for a couple of days, coming back to ask questions of the judge, then eventually found Mrs. Garamone guilty of murder, and she was sentenced to life in prison. 
Her defense attorney ended up putting forth the motion for a new trial, which was denied, and claimed to take her case to the Supreme Court of Colorado, but it never ended up coming to be. Her defense attorney even went as far as to tell newspapers that there was new hidden evidence in the case, but no such evidence was ever brought forth. However, this wasn't the end of Mrs. Garamone. She would be released from prison a decade later after a bizarre series of criminal pardonings from the then-governor, Oliver Shoup, who left eight murderers and four, four robbers out of jail under sort of mysterious circumstances that no one at the time could really piece together the motives for. Following public outcry about his actions, he was not re-elected in the coming election. So, Mrs. Garamone was last reported to be in Ohio, hiding from the black hand of the Italian Denver mob, who she was really sure would kill her if they found her. And she was not heard from again, at least not in Denver. So that is the story of Mrs. Angelina Garamone whose picture I will have up on Instagram, and I'll have a a brand new episode with a newer and more recent uh, case for you guys at the end of January. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for sticking it out through the holidays with me. I really appreciate it. And until next time.